I used to think, oh, I'm not going to do this because so-and-so will think that. I, I don't think that anymore. I, I now believe that, you know, if I'm giving an, an opportunity, it's because I deserve the right to be there. Or if I'm at an event and I'm sitting at a special table, it's because I've deserved, I've, I've done what I needed to do to get that place there. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Today's guest is my beautiful friend. And she is, or she founded Mothers in Business. She is a property investor. She is an author. She is a fantastic speaker. And she is the regional director of the Global Woman Accra in Ghana. But as I said before, she's my beautiful friend. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Linda Atram. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for the invitation. Really excited to have a conversation with you today. Yes, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about because I think you were a little bit worried that we don't have anything to talk about, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions because um, you have always sort of fascinated me as a very happy, um, bubbly person. And um, I think that you worked on that. You were not always that from the beginning, because uh, I also know that you were talking about it sometimes. But talking a little bit about travel, because it's a travel podcast at the end of the day, did you travel as a child? As a child, I traveled very little. And that was because I came from very humble beginnings. So my mum and dad, um, they're part of the Windrush generation. They came over on the boat from the Caribbean island of Grenada in the 50s and they had nothing. They just came with their their suitcases. They had no family here whatsoever. And it, for my mum, it was her very first time traveling outside of the Caribbean. And she was the eldest of 16 children. Oh so she left, she left all of her siblings behind and came, you know, to the, to big London, you know, to, to start a new life with um, my dad. They were newly married. And so they had to make ends meet. They were renting, um, you know, renting a property, well, actually not even a property. They rented a room and I'm the youngest of four girls. And so at one point we were all living together, all six of us in one room. It was shared accommodation. Um, so, you know, that that just kind of reflects the sort of humble beginnings that, that we had, um, you know, shared bathrooms, things like that. And so my mum, because she was the eldest of 16, she didn't really have much education because she was helping my grandma with the other children. So consequently, when she came to the UK, she didn't have any sort of formal qualifications of anything to do. So she started doing cleaning work. My dad was a porter in a hospital later on in uh, London Transport. And so they were always, you know, making ends meet. So there wasn't that excess amount of money there to take us on holiday, especially having having four girls. So whenever we did travel, it was a really big thing. It was a big thing for us to go to Grenada. And when we went, we would go for like six weeks at a time because my mum and dad would have to save up so much money. We'd literally go like every five years or something like that, but we'd go for a long period of time. And then as things got better later down the line, we started doing lots of trips around Europe um, because one of my aunts who also traveled in from Grenada, she was part of this like church group and we would travel around to, we went to Switzerland, we went to Austria, you know, getting to, to know Europe 
quite a bit, but it was our, my travels really as a child were mainly around Europe and Grenada. Wow, that I did not know. 16 children, Linda. Can you imagine having 16 <laughs> children? <laughs> wow. You you said something that I have never heard before. Windrush generation. Is that what they were? Why? So there was a, there was a, a boat, a ship called yeah. um, Windrush. And so at that time in the 50s, there was um, like a campaign to bring um, people from the Caribbean to the UK to work um, oh. and to give them, you know, um, opportunities to live here and to work here because there was um, opportunities over here, whether that be nursing or some sort of industry. And so you would apply and, you know, if you were fortunate enough to get in, you come along to the UK, but via the boat. There was no, you didn't come on an aeroplane or anything like that. So it right. took like two to three weeks and, you know, for my mum, she'd never travelled out of Grenada in her life than to go onto this big ship. You know, I remember her telling me all the stories about be- feeling seasick and having to make friends and, you know, how she felt leaving all of her siblings behind. And also she had um, she had two children, two boys before me and my sisters, and um, they unfortunately passed away. So she had to leave her children behind as well. And, and like I said earlier, you know, they had to make ends meet. And um, one of her children, one of her this one of her sons, he passed away when she was over here in the UK, but she didn't have enough money to go back oh, to his to his funeral. So my grandma had to to take care of that. These so, stories are heartbreaking and they are that's why I, I so Windrush was the name of a boat. And yeah. you know, I see that I see that here because here in Cyprus we have a lot of those people coming to work from the Philippines or from Sri Lanka and they leave their kids behind and and they come here to you know, for a better life and they send money mm. home. And, and that's what happened at the time with the people from the Caribbean who came to England. That yeah. is amazing and, and admirable. And I, I totally understand. I mean, it must have been funny though for you to go back. Did you fly when you went back to Granada then? Did you, did, did your parents save money so you could go on a plane? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So at the time, I think it was um, BWIA, British West Indian Airlines. Mm-hmm. They didn't go. They didn't go straight to Grenada because they, we didn't have an international airport at the time. So we had to fly directly to Barbados first of all, and then we had to get a little plane called a Liat plane, which was sort of about I think it took about twenty people. And um, you literally could see the the pilot at the front and hear all the engine chuttering away. And so, yeah, that that was that was interesting experience because it was like it wasn't a straightforward journey because once you got to Barbados, it was like you had, we were on standby, and you know you wouldn't always get on the flight. And my mum would there, you know, have the challenge of making sure that we all got on the flight together at the same time. So we just let her do her thing, but it was um, you know great memories, and it, it taught me a lot in terms of valuing. You know, oh, valuing yeah. um, valuing money, valuing the you know the opportunity to travel, because I remember when I was at school, like a lot of my friends, they would always be traveling off to Spain or wherever every you know every summer, and I was thinking, well, how come they can afford to go away 
every every year and we have to like save up for years and years and years because obviously I didn't have any concept of money I didn't understand it um and I didn't know how much the flights cost I just thought it was just the way that my mum and dad were you know they they weren't that interested in traveling but not realizing the the hardship and and the you know the amount of work they had to do in order to get us out there amazing i mean you know i grew up similar very similar we i i we were poor it's not it's it's a different story but i i only i went on a plane for the first time when i was 16 because i had actually started working and i had collected you know bought money together to buy a ticket to london that was my first flight so um right. it, it, and and i i totally agree with you that you do appreciate the value of money and you are also grateful for everything that comes afterwards because you know that and then and later on you realize how hard your parents must have worked to get you out there every time 100% 100% and also what was great about it was if they hadn't done that i wouldn't have got to know half of my family because like i said you know eldest of 16 I've got loads of cousins and aunties out in the Caribbean and had my parents not made that sacrifice to save up the money for us to go out there I wouldn't have known them and so I'm I'm grateful that I now go to Grenada regularly and I can send my children as well so that they can get to know their family out there. What do you feel when you go to Grenada? Do you feel that I mean, this is your your heritage. This is where your parents came came from. But you were born in the UK. I mean, so obviously your your home is is the United Kingdom. What's your feeling for Grenada? I absolutely love it because I feel completely blessed that I have the opportunity to go out there. It, you know, I have it as my second home. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful island, and because both of my parents have passed away. Now, when I go there, I feel a much deeper connection there because I I not only just go there to enjoy the island, but I also go there to connect with those special memories that I, well, that we created, but I don't have the opportunity to create any more with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I sit in our in our home, I remember times when I, you know, be sitting in the veranda with my mom, the times we go to the beach and and things like that. And also, when I talk to some of my um, my aunts and my uncles, I see my mum in them as well. So it's a much deeper connection for me when I'm there. And because my kids as well, they, you know, they used to go from when they were small. They've got memories of grandma as well. So I'm glad that I took that step to bring them out to the Caribbean when they were young. Beautiful. And you feel like you have to continue your parents' legacy and you have to, you know, it's like I like stay seeing that the relatives and uh, you know just keep keeping it going yeah. it, it, it's interesting because my kids are were born in cyprus your kids were born okay like you're more on the on the level of my kids but my kids have a strong relationship with switzerland so like you have a strong it, it, there's something there i think we just have two homes when we are like that yeah well for my children they're they're um even more blessed than me because they also have Ghana as well. Yeah, that's the next. That, that, that's that, you, you, you don't get ahead of yourself, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> but because I know that you are married to a lovely man who I also know from the business because he is a he's a motivation. What would Mac? What would you? What what is he? A, a trainer? He's a trainer, a, 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 a motivational speaker. He's a business consultant and a okay. business speaker. A lot of people, because of the way that he 
you know, he delivers, um, you know, his talks. A lot of people think that he's a motivational speaker, but he's not. He's, he's, that's not what he's classified that's as. That's part of the work because he speaks very motivationally. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. He inspires a lot of people, but yeah, he, he is a business speaker and, and consultant. Yeah. Okay. And he is from Ghana. He's from Accra. That's right. Yeah. But he was born in the UK as well. No, he wasn't. He was born in Accra. Oh, was he? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, uh, he was born in Accra and he came to the UK when he was nine. Okay. So his, yeah. connection to, his connection to Africa is probably even stronger or, or, or a little different to yours because he must have childhood memories from there. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That was That was his home for the first nine years of his life. And um, yeah, so when he came to the UK, he had to start afresh, you know, as a, as a nine-year-old, you know, a new country, new home, you know, getting used to, um, you know, different surroundings and, and seeing different types of people that he wouldn't have seen back home. So yeah, his experience would have been much, much different. Yeah. Yeah. And do you go to Ghana? Do you go? Regular? Yes, we do as a family. Yeah. We haven't been since the since the lockdown. Um, but we made a conscious effort, both myself and Matt, to make sure that our kids have experiences of both, you know, both the Caribbean and and of, of Ghana so that they can get to know their families out there. They can get to know the history as well, because, you know, I don't know if you know much about Caribbeans and and um, and Africans. And I don't know if this is going to be another question you're going to ask me. No, later it's on. not. Go ahead, because I wasn't. Okay. I don't know that, you see, this is why I love my podcast, because I find out things that I didn't know before. So tell right. me about the Caribbeans and the Africans. Yeah. So um, in the 70s and, and perhaps before, the, there was a lot of prejudice between Africans and Caribbeans. And so, um, you know, as growing up as a child, my mum and my and my mum and my dad would say, you know, if you're ever going to get married, um, you you don't get married to a, a Rastafarian or an African. And that was like really strange. And I didn't understand what they were talking about. And um, but it was just because of the the conditioning, I think, that both cultures had about where they came from, because in school, you're not necessarily taught the full story about slavery, for example, that, that started in Africa. And for a lot of Caribbeans, we were uneducated. So we didn't know that, you know, our ancestors were from Africa. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of this, um, you know, uh, unrest between the two cultures and they would not necessarily get on that well together. And so our, our kids are fortunate that they didn't experience that, but they can now see the two cultures together. And obviously we're, we're married. Um, and so we can blend our cultures together and they they can get to, to have that positive experience as opposed to when I was growing up, it was quite negative between the two cultures. Um, when I started dating Mac, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what are my parents going to think? Was, that was going to be my next question. What did your parents say when you brought home this African man? <laughs> Well, it was so weird. I had nothing to worry about because although that's what they were they were saying when I was younger, I think it was more of from their point of view, it's more sort of guidance, not sort of a strict rule. Because clearly, if it was a strict rule, like I, I broke the rule, you know, several times over. Because my 
my previous uh, partner to Mac, he was also from from Africa as well. But they absolutely adored Mac. They treated him like a son. And um, there were no issues whatsoever between our families. We just blended together really, really well. And consequently, even my parents, they divorced um, after 30, 36 years. And then my dad remarried and he actually married a Ghanaian lady. So it's all, you know, it's all swings and roundabouts. You know, the, my parents, although we had a very strict upbringing, you know, there were rules in the house that you had to follow, but they were also fairly open-minded. You know, they would support our decisions. It wasn't a case of you do as I say and don't do as I do type thing. So, um, yeah, it with Mac, they they absolutely, absolutely adored him. Fascinating. That is such a great mixture when you look at this, at you guys and your beautiful kids. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's, and you look, you know, you look happy together. You look so, so you blend well. Let's put it that way. And, um, but what I wanted to ask you, because you're, you're not today's generation, did you experience racism? Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. You did. Absolutely. And, you know, it took me a long time to find my place because the because of the experiences that I had, I felt that I, you know, I had this place that was down there and I wasn't allowed to elevate myself because of the types of experiences I had and people that looked like me weren't necessarily at, at, at other levels that I thought that I could I could achieve. So, for example, the school that I went to um, was an urban an urban school in in London. Um, but the you know the the expectation of people that looked like me was that you would either get a very low paid job or you go into a life of crime. There was no option of university whatsoever that wasn't even on the cards you go you go to college for a couple of years and then you you get a job and then you just find your way and you know entrepreneurship definitely wasn't something that was was common there wasn't there weren't many role models around for us to aspire aspire to and certainly in the school that I went to to just give you an example of how rough it was our head teacher got murdered outside of the school gates through gang fighting. So it was that, it was that type of school. So, you know, you kind of make decisions in school based on what, what your surroundings are Mm -hmm. and, and and the people that you see. And if you don't see people to aspire to, then you don't necessarily have that, those big, those big aspirations. Um, And then when you have other people that, you know, treat you differently because of your race, that then, well, for me, it it had an impact on my self-belief and my confidence as well as other things contributed to my lack of confidence. But when I hear the stories that my parents went through in terms of racism, I had it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and my children have experienced it, but nothing to the degree that I did. You know, when my parents came over in the 50s, you know, when they tried to get accommodation it was like no blacks no irish and no dogs you know oh, they'd literally oh. put these signs up on the door yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and they'd be going knocking from house to house trying to get accommodation and and all that kind of stuff you know i've experienced racism with my children 
before, you know, we've been out shopping and somebody said something really rude and I've just gone into them and my kids were like really shocked because they'd not seen anything like that before. And then, you know, that opens up that conversation for them that, you know, the world isn't as pretty as you think it is. Um, You know, there are some beautiful people in the world and there are some people that have some very narrow minded, narrow minded views. Um, But there's different types of there's different types of racism and there's also prejudice as well. Because when I go to Ghana, for example, um, like when we went the last time, we went on this tour for a month. We went all around, all around Ghana. And um, when we were paying to go to different events, like touristic places, my husband will say, you know, two adults and, a, and three kids. And they would charge my husband and my children the local price. And they charge me the tourist price which would be like three times everyone else's price. And I'm like, but why is that? Like, you know, in this day and age, why would you still do that? You know, the kids wouldn't be there if it wasn't for me. And (laughs) those those types of things, you know, at the time gets quite frustrating because I think, why am I being singled out? And I shouldn't be singled out because I'm their mother. I'm your wife. But, you know, we're still in the 20th century and you're, you you know, I'm I'm being treated like this. But it's not because I'm from, I'm... Well, I suppose because I look different and I sound different, so I don't I don't even open my mouth when I'm out there when when it comes to paying for things because they'll just you know <laughs> charge me three times the price of everyone else. But um, it's just interesting. But you know, it's all it's all character building as you go around to different countries and, and oh, things like that. You know, we we've, we've been on holiday before in Europe when the kids were younger and where people are not used to seeing black black people. Um, and they see us, you know, getting dressed up for dinner and they're looking at us like we're aliens, like, wow, how can they afford to get dressed up for dinner? And I remember one time there was this lady and she went, oh, chocolate, chocolate. And she started wanting to touch my kids' faces. And I really got quite annoyed. But then I realized it was because she wasn't used to, she wasn't being racist. She just wasn't used to seeing black people. It was something new for yeah, her. Yeah, um, yeah. Because sometimes in certain countries they have stereotypical images of what black people look like and what they do and what they can aspire to so absolutely and I think I mean I remember once in India um in the state of Arista where were not so many tourists used to go that's a long time ago when I was a tour guide these I was on a beach and these kids all came to touch me because they wanted to touch white skin you see yes. so it yeah. wasn't it had nothing to it nothing to do with any kind of race they just wanted to feel if it feels the same way like their brown indian skin yeah. So, um yeah but that's a long story that that's something we could talk about for hours and you said something very interesting before the world is not always nice and i think mm-hmm. it's really up to us you know i always say I, I cannot change the world but i can change my world i can i can affect the people who are in my world and if we all did that then the world would be a better place so linda you were experiencing racism you were going to a difficult school a quite hopeless situation what happened what how, how did you become this gorgeous glamorous successful lady <laughs> I have no idea. It just happened. No. Um, so basically, when I left school, I realized that, you know, if I wanted to do something different, I just ha- I always had this burning desire that I wanted to do something different. All of my sisters went into sort of admin secretarial roles, but I could see people around me doing other things. And I and I 
was just fascinated as to how they could do that. Why did I have to follow that path? Because that was what was expected of me to go into secretarial admin work. And I, as I said before, I was very, very shy. So although I had those thoughts in my mind, I didn't have the mindset to do anything about it. So I followed that path, went into secretarial admin work, but within HR. And um, at that time, my boss saw something in me that I, I didn't, I couldn't see for myself. And so she sponsored me to go to college in the evening and one afternoon a week to be able to um, get some more skills in human resources. And then they sponsored me to do a degree as well. And through that, that helped to build up my confidence because when I first started work, and I think I've shared this with you before, um, my lack of confidence was so low that I wouldn't feel confident to have conversations with people. And I would go and make my lunch in the morning at home. And then I would go and eat it in the toilets Mm -hmm. because I was so scared, so petrified to even have a conversation. I was scared of being judged about what I would say, that I wouldn't say the right thing, that I wouldn't come across the right way. So I'd rather just not not talk. But through my boss seeing something in me and, and sponsoring me to do these various programs, that helped to build up my confidence And it exposed me to, and it forced me to have conversations with people working in in human resources. And so as I kind of went through that process, I I felt more self-worth within myself. I felt more confident in myself, started, you know, going out more with friends, started dating. And yeah, it kind of started from there. But then as soon as I got married, had children, it started to go revert back again into losing that confidence because I felt that I was losing my identity through being a mum as although I, I love being a mum and I love you know that that whole blessing but something from me felt like it was being stripped away constantly being called mum 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 but Linda was no longer there and because of my husband being in the self-development world I was fortunate enough to be able to work on myself through programs that he would enable me to access and through him being my coach and mentor as well and so yeah I I finally realized at very late in life that you know it's not to waste time and years worrying about what other people think about you and to you know live your life on on my own terms and to, you know, for what I went through, through my lack of confidence, I never want my children to go through that. I know they have to go through their own experiences to create their own characters and stuff like that, but any sort of experience I can give them to um, enable them to become their, their own individual person, that, that is my, that is my goal. So yeah, that's kind of how it all, all happened really. And then I realized that, you know, when opportunities knock for me, I shouldn't, I used to think, oh, I'm not going to do this because so-and-so will think that. I I don't think that anymore. I I now believe that, you know, if I'm giving an an opportunity, it's because I deserve the right to be there. Or if I'm at an event and I'm sitting at a special table, it's because I've deserved, I've, I've done what I needed to do to get that place there. And so I should just enjoy that moment as opposed to worrying about what other people think, because, you know, once I'm gone, somebody else will just sit at the table. <laughs> Absolutely. But that is totally connected to self-worth, you know, yeah. because because when you have enough self-worth, you understand that you deserve to be at a certain place. And that's what you were lacking at the time when you were 
when things were different. But um, I I am very happy about the person who recognized your potential in the company that you were working and made sure, because that is as another thing that doesn't happen so often, you know, is that there are so many young people out there who have potential, but if they don't have anybody to help them, then mm. sometimes, you know, they get desperate. Patience is not exa- exactly young people's virtue. So, so if, you know, just saying to people who are listening to us, if you are a person who is in charge of young people and if you recognize potential in them, help them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, mentor- mentorship wasn't something that was around when I was, um much younger but you know if you've got somebody to aspire to you can talk to you can bounce ideas off of absolutely 100% and and I you know all what I'm sharing with you now is you know I I also share that outside as well to to inspire people and particularly women that um you know feel that lack of confidence that there is hope there is a ray of light out there and that they're not they're not on their own Mm-hmm. And that's why you are sharing your story, because basically you, your bottom line is that if you could do it, then ev- everybody can do it because your situation wasn't easy. So you made something of what you had at the time. And the reason why you you and I know each other is because of the Global Woman Club. Shout out to Mirella Sulla, who got us together. Yeah. And uh, that's where in your beautiful uh, Ghana, Accra Club, you empower women. And and the slogan of the Global Woman Club is if you want to empower a woman, give her a microphone and tell your story. And that's what you did. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've been part of Global Woman for the past four years and, you know, started off as a a member and then became a director about two and a half years ago. And I I just absolutely love the journey. I love the fact that I can meet different women all of the time from around the world that I would not normally connect with, giving the chance to to lead a community as well at the same time as inspire others is is just, you know, it was it wasn't something that I had planned, but it's it's just turned out into a, a really great journey. And it's fascinating to see that what you do with these women is what happened to you. Because when they come at the beginning, they're shy. Yes. Maybe they have a low self-esteem and then they get sort of included. I think inclusion is also a good word when it comes to all these things. They understand that they are part of something and they feel start feeling more comfortable. And that's mm-hmm. when your self-worth goes up. And that's when you start feeling like, yeah, I've got something to because. They do have something to say, but sometimes they are just too shy, like you were. Yeah, yeah. They don't know how to say it. They don't feel safe. And then it's about creating that environment where they feel safe and that they they feel that they're not going to be judged. And then they come back and they come back again and again and again and just continue to to build the confidence. Right. So um, I'm I'm looking at the time. We're not done yet, but uh, you know, you thought that you you said to me, "What what are we going to talk about?" We've got still have a lot of things to talk about. You went to India recently. Had you been to India before? No, no, first time. Went to India. Absolutely loved it. Very welcoming and warm country. So went out there with the family. We'd um we'd already previously gone to. Uh, Grenada for about three weeks, came back to the UK for one night. I saw, I saw you were like the whole summer on holidays. I noticed that. on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Mac was working out there and, um, 
he normally flies around the world doing different things and we never we don't normally as a family go out with him but we thought because it's summer we tag it on to our holidays it'd be nice for the kids to not only experience another country um which is one of our goals as well making sure that our kids go and visit different cultures and and have different experiences but also they they love watching their dad on stage as well so it was part holiday part observing him and and just soaking in the culture yeah and i noticed that you ended up in a sari shop with veronica tan <laughs> 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 and I saw this beautiful I mean you looked amazing in these saris did, did you I think I already asked you that I'm going to ask you now on the podcast you got you took some home didn't you that's right yeah yeah we, um I yeah there was uh, one for myself and and both of my girls as well and so that that day we went out shopping with Veronica was a lot of fun tried on so many saris and again that was really educational for me because um I didn't realize there was a difference between a sari and a custom made sari and um, when I tried on the traditional sari it was just cloth and cloth everywhere and it, like wrapped around me like <laughs> so many times and um, I thought there's no way I'm going to remember how to pin this up and turn this and twist it around here. And so, yeah, so we ended up getting the, the custom made ones, which was like the red and the blue and the purple, I believe it was. And um, so, yeah, there was a big party at the end of um, the event. And, yeah, we all got dressed up and it was really, really lovely. Experience. It looked beautiful. And just talking about other journeys, we were in Dubai together last year. And yes, had a great yeah. time there. And another thing that I really, really appreciated very much, you came to my Global Woman event in Cyprus. Did you enjoy Cyprus? Oh, my goodness. I loved Cyprus. I love Cyprus. And I definitely will be back again. And, um, you know, what I what I love about Cyprus is that it's just like, what, three hours away from the UK. So you get there really, really quickly. And it's such a beautiful island, especially the, you know, the, the part that we went to and you were such a gracious host and, you know, taking us around to all of those different sightseeing um, opportunities and all the food, <laughs> the food that we had. Yeah, we eat a lot. I've so much food in my life. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a local thing we like to eat. But um, yeah, Cyprus, I mean, Cyprus was a British colony. So people from the UK, we have a lot of tourists from the UK. And I have been living here for so long. I love Cyprus. And I always want whoever comes here, I want them to like it. That's why I show them around. I want I, I want everybody to leave Cyprus and have the wish to come back. Yes. And you certainly did a, a fabulous job in, in hosting us there and, and looking after us. And we felt very, very welcome I don't think any there was nobody there that had any complaints whatsoever I think everyone wanted to go back and we created such special memories there it was it very was happy more... to hear that you're always welcome yeah. I have another one last question are you gonna yeah. are you gonna take me to Grenada with you to Grenada of course yes. I would we would have so much fun I would We'd love so to come to that that would be a, a, a probably an experience of a lifetime we have to arrange that yeah, we're stating it publicly, publicly here on a podcast. So that is kind of a it, that binds us. It do. does. Maybe yeah. we'll do a cruise, Elizabeth. We'll do a cruise around the Caribbean and stop off at different islands. That would be lovely. Yes, let's do that because we're coming yeah. to the end of this podcast episode. I want to ask you one last question. If 
done a lot of traveling. You've, uh, as a child, maybe not so much, but you you have been to different continents. You've been to the. What is your take on the world when you see all these different people? What do we all have in common? The majority of people have a smile, a smile, and, and love in their hearts, and we're all very welcoming in terms of you know people that are open-minded that like to travel like to experience different cultures different traditions have that beautiful smell that welcoming culture about each other and so long as you know you do approach different cultures and and traditions with that open mind the world is a is a very beautiful place and we can all learn from each other it's not just about you know going to another country because it's hot and sitting on a sitting on the beach and getting a tan it's about being in, in in that environment, finding out about that history as well. And it's it's not just for yourself. You can share that with your friends, with your family. And and that's that's what I, I love about traveling. I love being able to share those experiences and creating memories in those places as well. So for example, we were talking about um about Cyprus and I I have a piece of Cyprus in my house that I go to every single day because I remember you took us to um we went, we went, I can't remember the exact tour, but it, we went into this little town. In Amadeus. Quite possibly. And there was somebody that got married and there was a bakery and all that kind of stuff. And I went into one of these stores and I bought loads of spices because I love cooking. And so I've still got my spices from when I came to Cyprus last year. And I put this uh, lovely um, salad uh, herbs all over my salad every single day. So I've always got a piece of Cyprus in, in my house, which is beautiful. And it's just collecting those little memories. It doesn't have to be anything big or expensive. It's just, you know, certain smells or, you know, reviewing photos and things like that that just bring you back to that place with those those good memories. Beautiful. Very, very beautifully said. said. I couldn't have ended this podcast episode better. Thank you so much for being my guest on Most Memorable Journeys, Linda Atram. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth. Thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.